0: We don't know each other um i'm paul gilbert i'm the lead pastor here at the congregation in killarn even if you do know me i'm still paul gilbert right so that that doesn't change things one way or the other um, we are here this morning um to dive into the topic the book of romans and roman catholicism and i think a, a just a super pertinent question right off the top is why would we take um, the time this opportunity um the use of our resources busy time in our schedules to look at a topic like this. And I, I think about it two ways. I think there's a, there's a real theological reason, and then there's a real personal reason. Theologically, one of the things that we're constantly encouraging you to do here at Four Oaks is to be a student of the Word, to grow theologically, to not, to not simply have a mediator between yourself and the Word of God, like a pastor or a teacher, but to know the Scripture's for yourself and for those of you who are from Roman Catholic background or you are familiar with that background have family friends who are still part of the Roman Catholic Church as we've been preaching through the book of Romans on Sunday mornings here at Four Oaks this might have elicited a lot of questions for you right um, Paul's very clear in talking about the gospel and the prominent place that the God in fact the gospel is the hinge of everything and you're trying to sort of reconcile that with With things that you've known or not known or learned or not learned growing up as part of the catholic church so there's a real um, call for us to be students of the word to know how to to rightly divide and handle the word of truth and so we want to be good students of that we want to leverage this season in case you haven't noticed romans is a super deep book right there's a lot of meat there on the bone and we want to use the season for all that we can theologically. But there's also a real personal reason, a pastoral reason. A lot of you, um, to be quite honest, aren't really sure um, how to treat this part of your background, or even family members who have a Roman Catholic background. How are you to love them, engage them? What should you be saying to them? How how do we even think about Roman Catholicism in, in light of what we see from the teachings of God's Word as it relates to how we love people and love those who are very close to us. And by God's grace, we're going to resolve all of that in about two hours. It's going to be awesome. Well, actually, yeah, somebody's clapping back there. Well, there is no better person that I know personally to lead us in this discussion than Greg Allison. Greg um, is a systematic theology professor at Southern Seminary, the official um, seminary of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's written multiple books, and during the break time, you can mosey on out there to our virtual bookstore. It's pretty cool. You need, you need to have a phone. I'm just telling you, you've got to have a phone to scan the QR code. But we have samples of all of his books. He's written two on Roman Catholicism, and this one particularly, I want to commend to you, 40 questions about Roman Catholicism. This is the best material I've ever read on this subject it's easily accessible engageable um and one of the reasons that greg writes in this way is he's not just a theologian um, not just a professor although he is all of those things but, but greg is a pastor greg is an elder greg has served in the local church in a shepherding capacity and let me just say that's a unique thing you don't always find you don't always find um, theologians, highly trained academics who also have a pastor's heart, but Greg is um, one of those guys. Um, Greg is married to Nora. Where are you, Nora? Okay, that's the real national treasure right there, so go, go find her after this is over. They have three grown children. I didn't realize this, so Greg told me 11 grandchildren. Um, they, let me just say it, they don't believe, uh, I think this is, I'm saying this is right, Greg. They don't believe in retirement in the traditional sense. They just want to lay it all on the line um, in service of Christ's church and His and His kingdom, and we are super um, privileged um, to have them here with us. Just a couple of notes on logistics and how this time is going to work. First of all, when you came in, you should have gotten the handouts, and if you didn't, they're available on the back table there. It'll give you an outline of what Greg is going to be um, teaching through. We also if you have questions, okay, obviously um, we come in here with a variety of things that we, we have a concern about. Our heart wants to know about different things. Theologically, we have different questions. And so the way we're gonna do this is we're, you're gonna text those in. And let me just give you jot the number down real quick for where you'll text these things in. That's 850-570, there it is, 0305. And let me just tell you, that's my personal number, so don't text questions tonight at midnight, okay? This is how much I trust you. This is how much I entrust my life to you. I give you my, I give you my number. I mean, if you don't have it, everybody else does. All right, so there we go. Text your questions in, um, and at the end of our time, towards the end of our time, we're gonna have some Q&A where we get Greg to reflect upon some of these things. So Greg's gonna teach a little while, have a little break. Um, we're going to come back, do part two, And then we'll do some do some q a um but enough of this let's welcome greg allison here thanks
1: thank you paul welcome everybody thanks for coming out on a saturday morning why am i talking on this topic when i was five years old my next-door neighbor, Mary Ann Barter, told me that because I was a Protestant, I was going to go to hell. She was a pre-Vatican II Catholic. But uh, that spurred interest. at least pushed my parents to agree with me. We need to go to church. And so we ended up in a Protestant church. I do not have, do not have a Roman Catholic background. But my wife and I helped launch the Campus Crusade, now crew ministry at the University of Notre Dame, which is 80% Catholic. She and I spent uh, three and a half years in Italy, and then another three and a half years in the Italian-speaking part of Switzerland. We lived in Rome for three years, and we were actually embedded in a Catholic lay organization. I was uh, We were working at the training center for lay catholics who wanted to evangelize their catholic friends and family members i took a course at a catholic seminary on the documents of vatican ii and so though i don't have a roman catholic theological background i have a lot of experience in this and as paul mentioned i've written a couple of books the 40 questions book part of a series on 40 questions on whatever topic and I've also written a more scholarly book called Roman Catholic Theology and Practice, and Evangelical Assessment. It's a walk through the catechism of the Catholic Church for evangelicals, if you're interested in that. Our topic this morning is uh, uh, quite an interesting one for me, and I hope for you. It's uh, Paul's letter to the Romans and Roman Catholicism. And because you have gone now thoroughly through Romans 1 through 6. I think you're on Romans 7, right? My comments are going to be confined to Romans 1 through 6. We're going to walk through that, and then we're going to show commonalities and differences between the the letter to the Romans and Roman Catholic theology and practice. By way of introduction, before we get into the book of Romans, though, there's some framework issues, some foundational issues that we need to settle on first Roman Catholicism as a worldview I want us to think of Roman Catholicism as a worldview as an entire system as a culture as a way of viewing and living in the world sometimes when evangelicals think about Roman Catholicism they think of it like a wall uh, with different bricks like purgatory and the Pope and Mary, and salvation, and the Mass, and things like that. And they feel like, if I can just take out a couple of bricks, Mary, purgatory, the Pope, the whole thing collapses. It doesn't work like like that. It's it's an entire worldview. It's It's a cultural reality. It's the way our Roman Catholic friends and family members and neighbors view everything through this Roman Catholic worldview. So it's a complete system, follow me in the notes here, grounded on two foundations, two basic principles. One is called the nature-grace interdependence, and the other is called the Christ-Church interconnection. Nature-grace interdependence. First, what is nature? Nature is anything that God has created. Nature is anything that God has created. Mountains, rivers, trees, angels, human beings, water, oil, bread, wine. Anything that is other than God, anything that God has created is in the realm of nature. And God has created nature, these elements of nature, in such a way that they can receive the grace of God and transmit, the grace of god these elements of nature water oil uh, bread wine are capable of receiving the grace of god and communicating or transmitting the grace of god to the catholic faithful what is grace grace is unmerited favor God's unmerited favor that's grace God's unmerited favor in the fact that he created the universe and everything of it in it God did not have to do that but out of his unmerited favor he created something outside of himself so moreover he created image bearers you and me and God has acted through grace in an unmerited favorable way to rescue us from sin so this is the idea of grace it's very similar in some ways to our understanding evangelical understanding of this the issue of the fall and sin what happened when adam and eve sinned when they fell well nature did indeed take a big hit but it was not completely devastated and so nature can still communicate can still receive the grace of god and communicate it and god's grace is absolutely necessary for fallen human beings To come back into a relationship with God to exemplify this I want to come over to this table we're going to talk about the nature grace interdependence as seen in in uh, several sacraments of the Catholic Church when I do this I by no means mean any disrespect to the Roman Catholic Church its theology its practice I'm not a priest up here these these are these are just elements right but I, I do want to show you this nature-grace interdependence. So, uh, so we have a 30-day-old little girl whose parents bring her to the Catholic Church to be baptized. So we have here water, which is consecrated by the Catholic Church. It's an element of nature, which is capable of receiving and transmitting the grace of God when the priest baptizes that little girl. What happens is that she receives the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. It cleanses this, this element of nature, communicating the grace of God, cleanse her, cleanses her from her original sin. She's no longer guilty before God because of Adam's sin. She no longer has a corrupt nature. This sacrament causes her to be born again she becomes a new creature regenerated by this sacrament of god's grace and she's incorporated into jesus christ and his church nature this element this water consecrated by the catholic church is able to receive the grace of god and communicate it to that 30-day-old girl such that she is rescued from her sin when she's seven eight ten years old she goes through the sacrament of confirmation. I have a a little vial of oil here. This oil is an element of nature, and it is capable of receiving and communicating the grace of God so that when that nine-year-old girl who was baptized is now coming forward for confirmation, when the priest takes this element of nature consecrated by the Catholic Church capable of receiving and transmitting the uh, grace of God. When he signs the mark of the cross on her forehead, right? she receives the grace of God, this unmerited favor. She is now fully empowered by the Holy Spirit, fully incorporated as a full member into the Catholic Church. An element of nature, oil, capable of receiving and transmitting the grace of God, such as this nine-year-old girl is now Uh, and and powered by the Spirit fully incorporated into Christ in the Catholic Church of course she also then as a good Catholic faithful person she goes to Mass uh, every Sunday and in the liturgy of the Eucharist the second half of the Roman Catholic Mass there is the sacrament of the Eucharist and so the priest takes this element of nature Which is bread and when he consecrates it it is capable of receiving and transmitting the grace of God indeed it is transubstantiated it is changed into the body of Jesus Christ sacramentally and then the priest takes the chalice of wine and when he consecrates it this element of nature wine is capable of receiving the grace of god and communicating that grace of god specifically the blood of jesus christ to the catholic faithful who will participate in the sacrament of the eucharist right so an element of nature bread another element of nature wine receiving and transmitting the grace of god and this grace then empowers this this 12 year old girl every week as she participates in the eucharist it empowers her to overcome her sins, to walk faithfully, faithfully with the Lord. It it trans it it uh, changes it it uh, transmits or sorry it, it changes her very nature so that she is capable of collaborating with that grace of God, engaging in good works, and eventually meriting eternal life. So this is the nature grace interdependence. The second major foundation, the second of the two key principles is the Christ-Church interconnection. So we've got elements of nature. Uh, we've got the grace of God. We've got a realm of nature. We have a spiritual realm of grace. We, we need something to connect these two realms. And right in the middle is this mediating reality called the Roman Catholic Church it mediates between the realm of nature and the realm of grace by consecrating these elements of nature, water, oil, bread, wine, such that they now are able to transmit the grace of God. So the Roman Catholic Church is this mediating reality between these two realms. Very interestingly for us Protestants, for us evangelicals, uh, the Roman Catholic theology believes that when God created The world and everything in it he incorporated into it a principle of incarnation a principle of incarnation the one with which we are most familiar of course is what happened 2,000 years ago when the eternal Son of God took on the fullness of human nature he became the God man we call that the incarnation The enfleshing, the humanizing of the uh, Son of God. The Son of God becomes a real and fully human man, fully divine and fully human. That, for the Roman Catholic Church, is the primary exemplification of this principle of incarnation. But there is a second exemplification of this principle of incarnation, according to the Roman Catholic Church, the church the roman catholic church is the prolongation it's the continuation of the incarnation of jesus christ so whereas we evangelicals we protestants would say well there's only one incarnation the son of god becoming jesus christ the roman catholic church says yes that's one example of this principle but another example is the roman catholic church which is the ongoing reality of the incarnation of Jesus Christ such that the church is the whole Christ the Roman Catholic church is the whole Christ in it is the deity humanity and the body of Jesus Christ this is the Christ church interconnection to take an example of this when uh, the priest uh, uh, is going to baptize that 30 day old girl Right? He is acting as a priest in the person of Christ. That is, because he has participated in holy orders, and we'll come back to this sacrament, he is capable of um, baptizing this 30-day-old girl. But in reality, he's the one who baptizes her, but Christ is ultimately the one who baptizes her because the priest acts in the person of Christ, You see the connection here. The church in its priest is the continuation of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, such that it is Christ Himself who baptizes this 30 day old girl. Two principles then nature grace interdependence and the Christ church interconnection. These would be the two principles, the two foundations on which this worldview, this culture, this Roman Catholic system is based. Let's compare that with what we as evangelicals would hold to. Protestantism, evangelicalism, is a system that is grounded on two axioms, two principles, and five solas. Scripture is one of the two principles of Protestantism, Divine revelation, the way God speaks to us, is through Scripture and Scripture alone. Probably in your uh, preaching, you've heard Paul and others speak about sola scriptura. Scripture and Scripture alone is our ultimate authority. This is called the formal principle of Protestantism. It gives shape to our worldview, our culture, our system. And then the second principle of Protestantism is, evangel- is justification. The second principle is justification. That is, in saving us through this mighty act of justification, God bangs down the gavel and declares us not guilty, but righteous instead. Not guilty, but righteous instead. It's a divine declaration that makes it so. Justification. This salvation, then, is by divine grace alone. There's no human merit or effort or good works or anything that's added to God's salvation through the, in this grace. It is through faith alone. Right? The only way that we receive this justification, the only way that we hear God's declaration, not guilty but righteous instead, is by believing by faith this faith is placed in Christ alone there's no other savior and it does not include any church or any other institution or anything else ultimately for the glory of god alone so that god and god alone will receive the glory for the salvation that we rece- that we receive this justification is the material principle of protestantism big idea that i want you to have at this point roman catholic uh, church, Roman Catholicism, and our Protestantism or evangelicalism, they're two very different worldviews, two very different worldviews, right? But, but there there's systems, there are cultures that influence everything that we are and everything that we do, everything that we believe. Does that make sense so far? Yeah? But before we say they're completely different Worldviews or systems or cultures, we need to rehearse the fact that there are many commonalities between Roman Catholicism and our evangelicalism. There are many commonalities. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list either. We begin with the triune God. Roman Catholics and evangelicals alike believe that God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no... Uh, a difference whatsoever between what Roman Catholics believe about God as triune and what we evangelicals believe about God as triune. In fact, there's a resurgence of the theology of a very important Roman Catholic theologian from the 13th century, Thomas Aquinas. There's a huge resurgence among us evangelicals studying his doctrine of the Trinity, his uh, theology of the triune God. So there is no difference whatsoever when it comes to believing that God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We also, Roman Catholics and evangelicals, agree on the nature of God. We all agree that God is all-powerful, and God is everywhere present, and God is all-knowing, and that he is unchangeable, that he is independent. He is not dependent on us or anything else that he has created He is eternal god has always existed that he is compassionate and loving forgiving gracious merciful he always tells the truth he is faithful to his promises he's wrathful and uh, he's jealous he's just righteous etc 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 there's no difference between roman catholics and evangelicals in terms of what we believe God is like who God is. There's also wide agreement, not complete agreement, between Catholics and Protestants about the revelation of God. How does God make himself known? Well, generally speaking, God makes himself known to all peoples at all times and in all places through what he has created. The creation testifies to the goodness, the greatness, the eternal power of God. All peoples at all times in all places have a basic sense of morality of ethics because God has hardwired us with a conscience a moral arbiter all peoples at all times and in all places experience the kindness and goodness of God through his providential care and all peoples at all times in all places know that God exists and he is to be worshiped because God has hardwired us with this heart for God, this innate sense of God. Roman Catholics and evangelicals agree about this general revelation of God. And Roman Catholics and Protestants also believe some things about how God speaks to the world today through Scripture. Now, now Catholics are going to have Scripture and tradition and something else. We'll come back to that. But, but Catholics and Protestants alike agree that uh, God's written word is indeed his word. It is his revelation of himself and his ways, his attributes, his will to those who know Jesus Christ. So there is remarkable agreement on what constitutes God's way of making himself known to people today, both generally and specifically. We agree, Catholics and evangelicals, on the person of Jesus Christ, that he is the eternal son of God, who about 2,000 years ago, became the God man by taking on the fullness of human nature. He is the God man, Jesus Christ. For 30-some years, he lived on this earth, right? He um, was baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, he lived a holy life under the law of God, perfectly obeying the Father's will. He suffered he was crucified he was buried he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures he ascended into heaven he's seated at the right hand of God the Father and one day he will return Catholics and Protestants Catholics and evangelicals alike believe that what is true about the person of Jesus Christ and we agree that there have in there have been times in church history when some people have emphasized the deity of Jesus Christ so much that we've lost sight of his humanity or vice versa that the church at times has emphasized so much the humanity of Jesus Christ that his deity has been lost. We agree that all those wrong positions are indeed wrong. We should not hold to those. We also have, amazingly, a great amount of um, agreement on the saving work of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you've not already talked about this, well, you've already been in Romans 3, we, we, we believe that Jesus Christ Uh, who died on the cross, died on the cross as our substitute to pay the penalty for our sins. Roman Catholics believe that. Evangelicals believe that. That is, what was Christ doing as he hung on the cross and died? He was our substitute. He took our place. He died for our sins, right? And he paid the penalty for our sins that we might be forgiven. Roman Catholics, and evangelicals alike believe in, technical term here, penal substitution. Jesus was the substitute paying the penalty for our sins. The Roman Catholic Church, evangelical churches, do not believe that there's anything whatsoever defective in the work of Jesus Christ. He did everything that he needed to do, that he was was required for him to do for us to be saved. We also agree on the holy spirit he is the third person of the trinity right he was active in the old testament right in the before christ in creating the world coming upon being poured out upon kings and prophets and judges he was the one who brought about the incarnation of jesus christ jesus christ the son of god walking on earth was filled without measure by the holy spirit On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was outpoured so that he now dwells in all followers of Jesus Christ, and he gives gifts to the church, and he empowers the church for its missional engagement, and he sanctifies us and bears his fruit in our life. We agree with all that. We also agree on the dignity and travesty of human beings. Roman Catholics and evangelicals alike believe that all human beings are created in the image of God. We're all image bearers. There are not some who are more in the image of God or less in the image of God. Both men and women are image bearers, people from all races and ethnicities. All human beings are created in the image of God. And we all agree that all all image bearers have fallen into sin. All human beings sin and fall short of the glory of God. Roman Catholics believe that. Evangelicals believe that. And sin has marked us and thus requires salvation. Which is, our next point, Catholics and Protestants, Catholics and evangelicals alike, believe that God must take the initiative if any fallen image bearer is going to be saved. God must take the initiative. That's the divine initiative in salvation, right? So God, if any of us is going to be uh, uh, reconciled, redeemed, both Catholics and evangelicals alike agree God has to take the initiative. There's no way that human beings can take the first step toward God. God must take the initiative. And then God incorporates us as his people into the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Last last then, the living hope, Roman Catholics and evangelicals alike believe that what we are most excited about or should be excited about is the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come again. When that takes place, no one knows. Catholics say, we don't know. Evangelicals should say, we don't know. Don't listen to those guys, 2028, right? If they get it right, it's completely by happenstance, luck, right? So we all agree the next great event that is going to take place in this world is Jesus is going to come again. There's going to be the resurrection. There's going to be last judgment. There's going to be new heavens and new earth. Roman Catholics and evangelicals agree about those matters, So so, so look at this broad agreement that we have. Let's compare this with evangelicalism, and here I just want to offer a caution. We uh, may use the same words. At the same time, we may have different meanings for those words. When we talk about grace, and we'll come back to this later, uh, though we use this common word grace or mercy we mean something different by it, or we mean there's different ways of receiving the grace and mercy of God, right? And we talk about sacraments or ordinances. We use the same words, but the Roman Catholic worldview has seven of them, and we as evangelicals have two. And when we use the word um, uh, gospel, we may mean something different by it. So you may listen, for example, to Pope Francis and you may be amazed, well, he's talking about the mercy of God through the gospel and things like that. And you go, it seems like we're on the same page. My caution is this, we may use the same words but have different meanings. Let me ask just quickly, any questions of clarification? I'm only starting, right? You probably have a burning issue Right, that you want to get out there, we'll have time for that. But any question of clarification just on what we've covered...